Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rowe. Andy, it has been like a month, two months since we've talked <laughs> we've talked on here. It has. I've been on other people's podcasts more than I've been on my own podcast for the last over the holiday season. So I need to ask you then, I mean, do do you want to come back to this one? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to have this discussion before we started recording. Yeah, this. okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to end your two weeks notice, I guess, so we can <laughs> get one more episode out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really cool. I've actually, so I listened to the um, the episode that you were on, uh, Splatfook, where you talked about the John Carpenter, is it oh, the yeah. Apocalypse Trilogy? Yeah. Yep. Um, and that that one finally forced me to watch The Thing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've texted, I've sent messages to you and to, to John and stuff separately about this you know john who's one of the co-hosts of, of splatbook but um yeah i thoroughly enjoyed the thing i don't know why i waited this long in my life yeah. to watch <laughs> to watch it but yeah, it was an incredible movie like i'm not a horror person at all but yeah. like this this movie i mean i guess i would classify it as horror but it's very much like more of like a adventure maybe like a thriller or something like that but yeah it was it was really good i liked it a lot that's interesting you would describe it that way and we don't we don't have to deep dive into the thing again because in the last two months i've i've really have talked and thought about the thing more than i have <laughs> like in my entire life up to this point but yeah so it's interesting because i think everyone would call that a horror movie so it's kind of interesting yeah. to me especially given how gory and gruesome it is at points mm -hmm. that it felt to you more adventury or thrillery i think there is so for me when i think about horror movies i think about stuff that genuinely scares me and there's something about the thing where like they can combat it with physical force Right. So yeah, like, you know, the thing, right. I guess if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's really good. And then you can go listen to the Splatbook episode where they discuss it. But like, you know, so there's this like alien thing that can kind of take over people's bodies and like it can bring other, other like beans and stuff into itself, which basically just results in it making these really gross, ugly monsters and stuff. <laughs> but you can kind of like kill them off with fire or like, you know, with force and stuff like that. So for me, it's like, okay, well, I understand like how, how to handle that. Whereas something like, say, like the Babadook, you know, or like these other like monster movies where there's there's no real way to kill it other than maybe calling in like the, the full might of the Catholic Church exorcism squad or whatever. Yeah. Ready to get rid of it. It's like for me, that really makes it a lot less scary. It's funny in kind of in the horror genre, there is really nothing quite so effective as setting the monster on fire no matter what oh, yes. it, what, yeah. what you're talking about. Like yeah. it, it might survive radiation, a nuclear explosion. It yeah. might. It might survive all sorts of things, but if you can catch it on fire, it's probably going to die. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, that's, there's a small comfort to that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, I guess it really is. Yeah. So, yeah, my last question I want to ask you about the thing, and then mm -hmm. I'm sorry, dear listeners, if you have heard way more about the thing uh, <laughs> than you really wanted to in, yeah. in the last few weeks. But I can't watch the thing without my own like nostalgia and kind of meta awareness of the thing being a mm -hmm. part of that experience. And that's great. Yeah. But I was jealous of you when you said you were watching the thing. And I think, you know, you had mostly avoided spoilers. Yeah. Um, I mean, spoilers aren't that important in a movie like this, right? Because no. you know what yeah. you're getting. So I was jealous of you getting to watch this for the first time. But I was kind of also kind of curious because I was like, there's, I felt like there's a 50% ch chance that Chris is going to come back and be like, this is, this was that was the dumbest, <laughs> like hokiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So I'm glad that wasn't the case. But do you want to talk a little bit about what it was watching this like early 80s creature feature in yeah. whatever year it is right now? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's technically 2024, which just sounds impossible. Okay, I never left. 
I never left 2020. So uh, yeah, I, I know, right? yeah, same here. Yeah, so I am. I'm happy to kind of talk about that. So I was chatting with a friend. Yeah, we were on the sledding hill and we, you know, watching our kids go up and down the hill. So I mentioned that I'd watched it, and he he just like lit up, and he like loves horror movies. So he he started. We started talking all all about horror and stuff. But he um, mentioned that there is something about horror in particular is a very like communal thing. So if you were mm. watching the thing, the sort of the ideal way to watch that would be in a theater full of other people who are excited to watch the thing. Oh the thing, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, watching watching this movie for the first time, like you know, it's a movie you had mentioned to me a bunch of times. You know, John's mentioned it to me. Like it's in uh, in another friend when I, I mentioned on the podcast that I hadn't watched it. I think the last episode that we recorded, the one with Toby, where we were talking about math and stuff. I just mentioned at the end that I hadn't seen the movie. He texted me immediately. Cause he was listening to the podcast. He's like, you haven't seen the thing like, you know, right. So it was for me walking into this, it was a movie that I knew I was going to watch and then have to talk about with other people. And so even though I was watching it by myself, it ended up being this sort of communal experience where I was like, Oh, I can't wait to tell Andy about this, yeah. you know, cause I know we're going to talk about it. Right. Like, and I can't wait to tell him about that. Right. Yeah. So despite sort of watching it by myself, just on like a Tuesday night or whatever, right. You know, it ended up being this, this, this experience where I was like watching it with like an eye towards like getting through it in that, like, Oh, I'm finally going to watch this movie that I know I should watch. I'm also going to get to talk about it with my friends. Right. So that's sort of my baseline is like, I'm pretty excited to watch this thing. But then for me, like the effects worked really well. Like, I think I can kind of appreciate the crap that went into them, even if like maybe they they looked a little hokey. Like, it's still like surprising, right? It's still good camera work. It's still like, you know, they're still gross to sort of think about and imagine like that. You know, so I really enjoyed the effects. But then on top of that, then just like the acting's really good. And like the story is pretty interesting too. And you're sort of constantly guessing like, you know, who who has been the thing, you know, in this, yeah, yeah. yeah, in this scenario and stuff. And then the ending is a little bit vague, you know, so like I immediately wanted to talk to everybody about the ending and it's like, yeah, it's just, it's a really like good movie. And I think I mentioned to you, if they were going to remake it, I wouldn't want them to like, there's yeah. nothing they could do to make it better. Yeah. Like I'd still want them to cast um, Kurt Russell right in the lead, uh -huh, yep. you know, if you still, yeah, like, you know, it's just, there's, um, you know, it's just kind of like a, a perfect, a perfect movie for what it was. I mean, I think yeah. you could maybe argue that a different director might do the exact same script in a slightly different way or something like that. But it's like, yeah, it's just, it's like a solid movie. And then for me too, having watched, um, watched other movies that have come since then and other TV shows and stuff, you can see all the different like references that people are making back, back to it, you know, especially like, mm. like all of Carpenter's films, I think in general um, get referenced a lot, but like stranger things, for example, like, I mean, yeah, like rips off so many, so many shots and like ideas and stuff yeah. from, from the thing. And like, you know, that's a show that I love. And like, to me, it's the references are are fun. It's not like, a oh, I can't believe they stole from, <laughs> from John mm -hmm. Carpenter. It's like, oh, like, that's a really cool idea to kind of like bring this, bring this stuff in. Yeah. So, so I enjoyed it and I don't know, I think if I hadn't enjoyed it, I wouldn't have told you maybe like, I, know it's, <laughs> I know it's a movie that's near and dear to your heart yeah, yeah. well that's great by the way i don't yeah. know if it's picking up on the mic but i'm in a room with a bunch of guinea pigs so oh, yeah. there's like they're they're pretty chattery this morning so yeah. if you hear a kind of a uh, listeners if there is a very low level guinea pig chattering noise i'm not in yeah. a rainforest i'm not recording okay. in a rainforest or anything 
Yeah. I'm recording in the opposite of rainforest because I'm in Michigan right yes, now. Yes, yeah, it is deathly cold right now. Well, yeah, I mean, if any of the guinea pigs snow. start to um, like shoot out like tendrils of <laughs> <laughs> you know like gross tentacles and stuff and start you know screaming at you, you know, make sure you have some fire nearby. <laughs> fire, that's all we need. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, that's great. Hey, thanks yeah. for sharing yeah. about the thing. I do think there is something communal, like you say, about horror stories or scary mm-hmm. stories in general that is not necessarily the case with other stories. I don't know if I want to make the generalization, but I would say I am more likely to want to watch a horror movie with friends than I am like a lot of other types of movies. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think yeah. if that's really true or not, but you know. I don't know if I watch a great sci-fi movie that doesn't seem like something I need to share with others, but I do, you know, of the movies I watch with other people, they tend to be horror movies. And I don't know if that's just because I like horror movies. So most of the movies I'm watching are horror or (laughs) if there is that kind of instinct of like, let's all kind of freak ourselves out together in like the safeness Mm -hmm. of a community together. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a quote at the end of the the last splat book that, or I guess it was two, two episodes ago where um, I think Matt read it about like what scares you scares me like that horror is sort of a, a universal, a universal thing, like stuff that is scary. Yeah. Scary to you is going to be scary to me. So I think there, there's something about like sitting in a theater or your living room. Yeah. Getting scared about the same stuff, realizing you're going to get to the other side and having that be a cathartic moment. Yeah. And to kind of like tie it back to gaming too. I mean, I think about like how many of the campaigns and one shots and stuff that, that I've run and played in end up having these horror elements to them. Cause I think it is that same thing. You're like, you know, in a way it's like this, it's like a safe, safe way to interact with each other is to kind of like, well, let's see if we can like ratchet up the, the horror, <laughs> the horror of it. Right. And then you can kind of deflate it with co- comedy and like, you go, go back and forth between these different modes and stuff. But I mean, I think it's like, it's such a, it's such a part of being human, right? Like, so I, I have a three-year-old, right. And he's scared of stuff. Right. So he woke up last night, just terrified of something. You know, and it's like just seeing that, that like terror and then calming down and like, you know, that, that whole thing. Like, I think we, we sort of crave that <laughs> too in our lives um, as yeah. well. I mean, I think it can definitely go, go some, some bad places, but I think like, yeah, for at the game table and then movies and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think there's, there really is something to, to that just idea of like, yeah, let's, let's kind of scare each other, <laughs> scare each other a little bit and then, yeah. then come out of it and we have bonded in a way. Uh, excellent so hey i want to switch the topic a little yeah. bit and yeah, yeah, can we right. talk dungeons and dragons for a few minutes <laughs> yes we can yeah. i don't know if you've heard about this, this i game have not heard about this game dungeons it and sounds, sounds kind of weird <laughs> so when we are done recording this podcast i'm going to stop recording and close the browser window and i'm going to go in the other room and i'm going to run dungeons and dragons for my family mm-hmm. and specifically i'm going to be running the uh, Stormwreck isle uh starter set or whatever i think it's the new starter set relatively new that has replaced for reasons that only make sense i guess to the people at wizards <laughs> of the coast has replaced the much beloved fandelver starter set so you have run this or you've run parts of this mm-hmm. and can we just chat a little bit about what that how that adventure is let's let's talk about D's starter set uh right oh, now. Yeah. so what do i have to look forward to i mean i've skimmed the adventure it's mm-hmm. pretty sparse and maybe we can talk about the thinness of the material yeah here as part of this conversation <laughs> yeah. I, so let's talk storm Kyle. what can i expect yeah I mean, we can talk about the thinness of the the material it is i think i, I said before we kind of jumped on online it's sort of like it is the baby 
D&D for babies of, of adventures. <laughs> That's a hot take there. I can see I that. I know, right? Uh, That's yeah. the, the hottest take I will probably ever have about Dungeons and Dragons. But <laughs> right, right. yeah, so like Lost Minds of Fandelver, like I think anyone who's played it has probably enjoyed it. You know, like I, I've run it a couple times, you know, parts of it a couple times and like the whole thing, you know, at least once and stuff. It's like, it's a good adventure and they've, they've used it as sort of the basis of a new adventure module, right? That they put out recently right like i think it's called mm-hmm. like shattered obelisk i have bought it i honestly have not <laughs> not cracked it open <laughs> yeah. since i bought it which um yeah it's probably a problem but uh yeah so like that one's pretty good Stormwreck isle i don't think anyone's gonna be like wow that was the best <laughs> the best D i've ever played yeah so you i mean you sort of just like wake up on an island like so it's very very contained it's very i think purposely does not allow you to just be like anywhere you want on the sword coast for example right so you have like i think it's a it's a settlement of kobolds right and like you like they have sort of a a threat that they need taken care of and there's a handful of directions you can take take from there i think they're the when i ran it we just played one session so they they got to the island they figured out what was going on and then they decided to go to there was a like a shipwreck that they went to yes um I mean, like, it's good, right? It's it's pretty good. I think, like, your your players, your family, right, will will have stuff that they want to glom onto. I mean, I think the thing that I would tell you is definitely riff on it as much as you can. I would not just run it as as written because I think it'll be pretty pretty thin, as you mentioned. I would just yeah. you know introduce sort of anything that kind of makes your um, makes you more interested in the adventure. Go ahead and <laughs> and introduce mm-hmm. it. I think you can find a way to weave it in in pretty easily the thing that really stuck out to me is that there is not as much combat in it as you might think there would be okay for D. um i think there's an optional like zombie encounter right at the beginning of it yes mm-hmm. um i think i might make that well if your your family's played D before so you can probably skip that if i was going to run this for a brand new group again I would make them have to have that encounter because otherwise you sort of end up doing a lot of talking for the first the first part of it i wanted to talk a little bit about the structure of this adventure and maybe mm-hmm. how how it compares to kind of an ideal D adventure that you might put together yeah. because this module it wisely starts with an action scene i would mm-hmm. say getting attacked by like three zombies is pretty low on the excitement scale but yeah. like that but i am a jaded gamer <laughs> yes you are right? yes yeah then you get dumped from what i can tell you get dumped into a town and for me, st- scenes at the beginning of an adventure where you get assigned like a job by somebody, that's a real, that's a yellow flag for me for a couple yeah. of reasons. <laughs> okay. First, like that's not an imaginative way to get people invested in the adventure, right? Like I realize it's a staple of D&D that you go somewhere, they have a problem and you are assigned uh, to go solve it. But I feel like there's maybe there's but you as a players don't really have much of a stake in what's going on beyond like, well, I guess, I guess we want to get paid to yeah, solve this yeah, problem. Yeah. And these people seem nice. So let's solve their problem. So mm-hmm. that's one thing, whatever. It's a starter set. But man, you know, anytime you have like the equivalent of like a mission briefing in adventure, my yeah, experience is that yeah. that always takes like an hour. Mm-hmm. People ask. And it encourages people to just like, you know, endlessly ask questions of the quest giver or mission giver. And it's like one of my goals is to have as few of these like quest giving briefings in yeah. any role playing game as I possibly can. As much as you can avoid that. So like when I ran this, um, I ran into that that exact same problem of like, you know, you and the, the city is it's really interestingly designed in that it's sort of like on a cliff face. 
through sort of like walking, walking up the cliff face and, you know, interacting with stuff as, as you're going until you get to the top. Right. And there's, um, I think like the, the leader, the leader of the kobolds is up there. Yeah. It, it just sort of naturally drives you into these, this, like, we're going to meet this person. Now we're going to meet this person. Now we're going to get the quest. Right. And like, we're gonna have to decide what we're going to do. Right. And I think that's, that's smart from a, you've never played D and D. Um, sort of setup, but I think for you and for your group, I think you want to introduce some probably more dramatic tension, like that that zombie attack that's happening on the beach. I might have that happen in the city. So oh, like you you yeah. come in and it's like their zombies are overrunning the kobolds, and then so like now now rather than it being this thing that you can walk away from, it's a what are the adventurers going to do in this situation? Right? Are they going yeah. to like avoid? You know, be like, oh great, like everybody's distracted we're going to ransack the place you know or are they going to you know help out be heroes and, and stuff like that and then probably just drive directly in from from that attack it's like kind of pick pick the direction you you want them to go and i would just say like you, that's the next place you're going to go and try to short circuit that mission briefing as much as possible yeah because like yeah it just it doesn't it does again if you've played a game before it's just not going to be as interesting and i think you don't have unless you're going to take two hours to really make connections between the NPCs and the players, like they, they really just want to go out adventuring. They want to go like explore, explore weird yeah. stuff. So yeah, let them do that. <laughs> I don't think this is the case, but I feel like this quest giver thing mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll write her net right now, I'll put an asterisk and say, I know this is present in the earliest iterations of D and D but it feels very video gamey to me. Yes. Right? So you go to someone, they give you quests. But it works in video games because you can't drag it out for hours, right? Because the video game can control how much time you can waste asking questions of the quest yeah, giver. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, so, you know, in a video game, you go <laughs> and you get your quest and then you and then you just have to go do the quest. That's the yeah, next thing. Because the, the, the conversation tree, you've exhausted every possible option. Right, so it's like, right, now you, yes. you really got to go. They're just repeating themselves. Yeah. Yes. So I, but I do get it. And I want to just put a disclaimer here. I understand Stormwreck Isle is like a, a beginner set for new D&D players. So interpret what I'm saying, not as a critique of this product, but just thinking about the um, adventure like a good adventure design, generally speaking. Stormwreck Isle does an annoying thing. It's easy to hand wave away, so it's not really a big flaw, but the quest giver is a dragon who's in like inhuman guise. Yeah. And they are sending you around this island to deal with level one to two problems. <laughs> yes. Like so yes. if zombies are killing your townspeople, dragon, yeah. like is there is there any possible way? Yeah. yeah. Can you think of anyone around here who might be able to trivially deal with whatever yeah. it is? It's, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that reminds yeah, me, oh, I just like, this is a total anecdote, but I, I remember running, I think, yeah, it was lost minds. And I, I made an offhand comment about like one of the NPCs being like a, a level 10 fighter who's retired and like the, <laughs> the party, you know, because they should have, we're like, well, let's recruit him. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. no, he's very retired. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We can't introduce this. Yeah. No, but I get it. And this is a, this is a, a fantasy thing where the wizard that could go over there and solve the problem gives you the quest to mm -hmm. do it yourself because it's part yeah. of the heroic journey. Right. Yeah. But, um, so the other thing I was wondering if we could investigate is like, how do you let the players feel like they are figuring out the solution to a problem rather than going to the place the quest giver told them to go 
uh, where they'll solve the problem, right? So yeah. in, in this, I mean, there are a million adventures follow this basic format, right? There's like a problem that's plaguing this a town or village or whatever. In this case, it's like weird corrupting things are causing chaos around the, are like disrupting the natural order on this little Stormrift Isle. How do you, in a situation like that, let the players feel like they are coming up with the solution rather mm. than being told what the solution is and the solution is to go to places A, B, and C in that order yeah. and just be and, and clear them? Like, Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that is really hard. And I think, you know, especially the structure of Stormbreak Isle lends itself to like, you got to go to place A, B, and C, C to fix it. What I have observed playing these games is that it can be really hard for a party to sort of come up with with their drive on their own. And I think this is one of the reasons why I end up liking games like, say, Brindlewood Bay quite a bit, because there's sort of a built-in, like, you are people who are very interested in X, Y, and Z, right? So in Brindlewood Bay's case, it's like, you know, you're a bunch of, bunch of these, like, you know, old grandmotherly types who just really love mysteries and solving mysteries and murder mysteries and stuff. And there's a murder mystery happening. It's like, well if I'm going to interact with the game and on any level, then I'm going to go, want to go, <laughs> go do that thing. Like with D and I think it can become a little bit harder. Cause it's like, I think people have these different ideas of what their characters are and what their characters might do right away. And like, you can kind of say like you're heroes. So you're interested in being heroes, but that's almost a little bit too vague, mm-hmm. vague of a problem, you're like vague of a, like a drive to get going. Cause it's like, yeah, cause it is then it's like, well, I mean, if I don't really like this quest giver, maybe I'll go find a different quest giver. Right. Until I can find something, that like really interests me as a party. So like part of the way that I've, I've addressed this is just saying very directly to the players, like this is the adventure hook. Right. And I think we've talked about this on on past episodes of the podcast about like, you know, like how do you present a problem to the, you know, to the players without it seeming like, yeah, you're giving them the solution or like saying like, no, you can't do that. You know, those things. I mean, I think it's just really hard. I mean, I think, I do think, right, like like I mentioned with Stormwreck Isle, like if there's a way that you can kind of take away, like divert the power of that primary hidden dragon figure to be doing something else. So like like they know what the answer is, but if they try to go do it, something else bad is going to happen. Hmm. Like I think that's the way that you can maybe start to get around that a little bit. It's like, oh, you have to go to that, like that cave with all the weird mushrooms because if I leave, the zombies are going to completely overrun over in the towns so like i mean maybe you start that adventure with like that that leader it's just like killing wave after wave of zombies or like holding up some sort of spell you know like that's keeping them away or something like yeah. that so it's a lot less of just like a yeah like well i'm just gonna sit here and you go do all, all the adventure things and then come back to me and report back you know, like just yeah like, what are you gonna do i'm just gonna sit here right you know so like yeah well yeah i was thinking of doing something similar to that i was i was wondering about having that dragon leader be missing Uh, so the zombies are attacking the town or whatever and the person that usually just goes out and takes care of these problems is gone so the townspeople are freaked out and you you look like sturdy adventurers can you help us you know so i've just been trying to look for a way to inject some urgency into Mm -hmm. urgency or just interestingness um to it rather than here's your quest giver he tells you where to go so that's a really good idea and then you could i mean you could have that you could have that leader in whatever that first location is that they're going to end up going. So like this, you know, it could be kind of a, the quantum leader, right? So it's like, you can maybe choose like, so if you want to go down to, I think what, there's a, like a wrecked ship, there's a mushroom like cave. And I think there's one yep. other location. Yep. There's uh, yep. You're correct. Yeah. So if like the wrecked ship and that's, that's the direction that the players that I played with ended up going, that wrecked ship has a harpy 
that kind of comes in and attacks. I mean, you could just have have that harpy sort of has like tied up the leader or like you know is you know has it ready to eat <laughs> you know yeah. eat or something like that and it's like you know so the the townsfolk are freaked out because there's these zombies attacking you could help them kind of get that settled and then they're like well our leader went down two days ago to that ship to go do something we're not even sure what she was doing like can you go help us yeah and then it's like okay so you can either stay here you don't have a way off the island so you can stay here and fight zombies or you can go down and fight find that leader or you can go explore around and like, I think they could, they could take the option of exploring around. But I think if they have, if they have two sort of two problems to take care of, I think they will end up trying mm. to solve, solve one of them rather than just ma- inventing their own. Like, cause they're going to yeah. invent their own problems <laughs> in any way, but. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I will say this about Stormark Isle. It's locations are pretty neat. The, the one of them, like you said, is a cave of like of mushrooms where some myconids live. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty, I like mushrooms. That's pretty yeah. cool. And then a sunken, a partially sunken ship with zombies and stuff is is pretty neat and not a basement filled with skeletons, right? That, yes, yeah. <laughs> that everyone's expecting. So, yeah. Can we talk about your first D and D adventure? Well, not yours specifically. So, what what should be in that? I feel like we do a disservice to D and D when we play it with this video game type setup of like, yeah. here's your quest to go and do it. I feel like. A key part of even your first D and D adventure is bumping into or having the option to like get entangled into side stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that's like such a big part of D and D. And I'm not really talking too much about my situation right now because everyone in my family has played D and D, so we we know how it's going. So this isn't everyone's first adventure. But it's just, mm-hmm. what do you what experiences do you want people to have the first time they sit down at the table? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they play D&D with the understanding you can't pack every D&D experience into uh, you know that first adventure but what what are the key moments or experiences that are just intrinsic to D&D do you think that is a super good question it's something that I, I think about quite a, quite a lot whenever I'm playing especially with a new person like you know, like what are, what are the things that I want to make sure that they do um, and for me it is it's a combination of things. So I think like, I think every, every player needs to be able to use a part of their character that makes their character unique. Hmm. Like, so something on their, something on their character sheet, like, you know, so if they can cast spells, they need to be able to cast a spell like in the first hour, ideally, if yeah. you can. So it's like, this is what you can do. Like if they're a, you know, a fighter or a paladin or like, they need to be able to like, you know, hit something really hard. You know, like, so you gotta, like, I think you need to give them that experience of like, hey, you're playing D&D, you know, there's a bunch of dice, you know, there's a lot of combat, like, here's that, right? So you, you've gotten to do, do that thing. I think that's, that's super important. Um, but I, I think the other thing that's important is, is to do some role playing, but then also give them the ability to like, say something dumb, or try something that like, shouldn't work, but then mm. they can roll their die, like they can roll their D20, and they get a really high number. And it's like, oh, actually, that did work. Right, like something that like would not pass the smell test in real life, yeah. like it can work in sort of this fantasy role playing setting, right? I think like those are like the two things that are like the the highlights for me about about playing that game, especially with new people. Of like, oh, like I can just try stuff, and like sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Right? That's a really good point. I really like that. Mm-hmm. I really like that the idea of like a big part of D and D is realizing you can that you can try dumb stuff and it might succeed. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, I, cause it's, you know, like the first time that you can like talk your way past a guard, right? It's just like, you know, stuff like that where a video game would just be like, no, you can't, 
you can't go here because it's not you know you haven't <laughs> you haven't flipped the right flag on the logic right but like with with D, it's uh, yeah you can do those things or like i mean if they decide that they really like an npc i think this is another fun thing to do it's just like well show show them at the table and then do this for yourself too of like oh like they're interested in this npc like let's start building up like who this person is and you can even ask them some questions about about that as well i know that like that's again you know for a more like narrative focused <laughs> game playing side of things, being able to just like ask your players, like, I don't know, you tell me like, what, what do you think this, this person's deal is? But like, yeah, I mean, I think if you can, you can do some of those things and then they can like, again, start to invent their own problems or their own, own kind of success states and stuff. So like maybe they talk to one of the kobolds and they get really invested and it's like, well, why don't you bring that kobold along with you? Right. Like, you know, mm. like there's just stuff you can do that they might not think about. Um, because if they're used to just playing video games where the video games will constantly tell you, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas D and D it's just, it's a, a box full of yeses. Yeah. I like that answer a lot. And I think that really gets to the core of the role-playing experience versus like you say, the video game experiences that everyone is so familiar with. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that to me, I don't know if there's anything else about like first session of D and D in particular that like is, that really needs to happen. I don't know. Yeah, is there anything else that you're like, oh, like if if the first session of D&D you've played doesn't have this, you missed out on on something. Like, let's make sure we get into the second session. I'm going to repeat a little bit of what you said, but I, I think the ability to make your own choices about how to approach a problem is key to me. Yeah. And obviously, video games have, you know, there are video games where you, you can make meaningful choices and stuff. But in D&D... I really think the ability to choose how to approach like an encounter is important. And that's mm -hmm. why in these starter set like, adventures, like the encounters that work really well are the ones that don't presume, assume how you are supposed, quote, supposed to tackle them. Right. Yes. And so as I've been going through Stormwreck Isle, the worst type of encounter in these things is one where you like, you know, you read, the box text that like locks you into a course of action, you know? So mm -hmm. as I go through the encounters in Stormwreck Isle and other stuff, what I am usually doing is like trying to broaden the like options for the encounter compared yeah, to what yeah, yeah. the um, written adventure assumes. And it's fair of the adventure to assume that if you see zombies, you're going to need to fight them and stuff. But yeah. so I get it. But, you know, like you say, maybe if you back off a little bit on your prescribing how encounters will go. I think that's like an important lesson for players that mm -hmm. the game itself holds no assumptions about how you will uh, approach this situation. In this particular case, I don't know if there's really enough in Stormwreck Isle to explore that too thoroughly, but I will be looking for opportunities to step back from the combat that the adventure assumes that, that the PCs will be engaging in. That's a that's a good point. I mean, I think there there's a a big difference between setting up a scenario where it's like you know you turn the corner and there's a bunch of thieves that have their swords drawn on you, like ready to attack, versus like you turn the corner and there's a bunch of thieves playing cards at the table. You can see how those situations could very easily diverge. You know, both could end up with combat. Um, one is very much more likely going to end up with combat. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you know, same thing with zombies. I mean, you can you could you know add something in there like you know that they they can't climb up rocks or something like that you know it's mm. like and have some rocks available to them that they could you know create a wall or like you know like they're attracted to i don't know 
they're attracted to seaweed for some reason. So you can like <laughs> lead them away way yeah. somewhere else, right? Like you can just like, you can build in all these like little ways to solve, solve the problem. Or, and this is like just cribbing fully from, from John Corey of Splatbook, like just don't even know what the solution is, but just kind of present the problem and, and sort of like whatever they come up with, right. Is, is great. You know, I kind of make that, make that work for them so they can, they can feel clever and you can be surprised. <laughs> yeah. I will say, generally speaking about thinking of starter D&D adventures, I don't like thinking about like missions and quests in D&D. I know yeah. that the idea of the quest is, is very baked into kind of uh, fantasy literature that D&D draws from. But for me, the D&D experience is, is going out and exploring weird and dangerous stuff a, a strong element of that is just simply the thrill of exploration and mm. um, figuring out and discovering what's there and like a more fun version of Stormwreck isle is you wash up on the shore of this island and that's all you know like go mm-hmm. go find out what's on this island whereas you know as written it's like you sail you know you arrive at the main city and you get your quests of locations to go visit on this island. Yeah. And I understand why they're doing it that way, but why not have the PCs not know what's on the island or <laughs> yeah. where they're going, right? I feel like I would rather the PCs go bumble out into the world and then some kind of story emerges from the things they discover and the way that they interact with those things. Yeah. Rather than kind of imposing from the outset the way you're going to be interacting with this setting does that make sense no it makes a lot of sense i mean it's it sounds like you need to just play play a hex crawl (laughs) with with, yeah but yeah i mean i think that is that's totally valid for me that's a pretty ideal way to play as well i don't know if i'll ever have the group or the time the time to necessarily do that and i think that's that's the key there is if you have if you have the right group and you have the time to sort of find the adventure together then i think yeah that's that's gonna be way more satisfying you know you, you could end up playing Stormwreck isle but if they if they get there naturally kind of by their own their own um their own decisions then i think that's yeah much more interesting and much more fun um it's just sort of hard, like how do you yeah, how do you pull that off if you have a limited amount of time for sure like i i feel like a broader issue floating be kind of looming in the background for me is as hobbyists who love this hobby and who really want to evangelize it and welcome new people into the hobby. I feel like uh, our collective instinct and it's reflected in products like Stormwreck Isle is to just strip down, try to make it more accessible, mm-hmm. try to make it really accessible and simple. And I sometimes wonder if people might not find more value in being tossed into the deep end a little bit more. Um, Interesting. Okay. You know, if you're going to sit down and spend three hours playing D and D let's play D and D right. Let's, <laughs> let's l- like, do it. let's, yeah. you know, let's do it. And so I, I absolutely understand, you know, it's probably the right thing to do in these starter sets to present these, you know, very simple very accessible, very easy to grasp scenarios. But that's not really what D&D is or role-playing is, right? Like that's not the experience that makes this hobby so amazing. That's not Mm -hmm. the experience you want to share with other people. To me, you know, the way you convince people to get invested in D&D is to share what D&D does best. 
right? Or what fill in, you know, whatever yeah. role playing game you have. Yeah. And what it does best is prob is not really there's a cave of kobolds go there and you'll get a hundred gold pieces if you defeat them, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know how you express that in a, in a quote starter set, but I don't know. I guess maybe what I'm arguing for is, you know, let's just, let's trust that people can rise to the challenge of a, of a weirder and more nuanced and deeper experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. How do you feel about that? You're giving, you're giving a dubious look into your webcam. Yeah. I've got a lot of, yeah. I think you've probably seen a lot of different expressions. Um, I think. Yeah. You you did go through a journey of (laughs) emotional (laughs) expressions. It was a lot. Yeah, you know, it, it started with like, I can't believe this old guy is talking about how D&D used to be. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and everyone, yeah. okay, okay, he's got a point. Um, yeah, so it is, I, I do think there is a little bit of like rose colored glasses here where like you you are sort of remembering some formative experiences that like were impactful for you, right? That like may or may not represent like how people want to play D&D now. You know, so I think there's, there's an element of that, but I, I do think that you were right on that. Like if we just, if, if we sort of end up treating these games and just speaking more broadly than D and D as like, as purely a way to play a video game at the table or like, you know, a way just to tell stories or something like that. Like we have lost something, you know, I think, I think you're right on there. I mean, like I played, I played in like one hex crawl that Kyle Latino ran. Um, So he, he made a big map and he had a bunch of like stuff that could happen and dice that he was rolling and stuff. And it was, it was a great, it was a really fun experience. Um, it also meant that a little bit like, you know, we were sort of like trying to find the adventure like all together. Mm, and like, I yeah. think that that worked really well for that group, the group that we were playing, playing with. Cause I think like we all like were, were able to do that. Like I, I do just wonder, it's like, you know, if you throw people that have never played before into, into like a big complicated system and then also ask them to tell a story and interact with a game in a way that it's very foreign to, I think, how we do any sort of, like, media these days. Like, yeah, I, I wonder how effective that would be. Although it also sounds pretty exciting to see, like, okay, like, what if you, yeah, what if very first time you're ever playing D&D, it is a hex crawl, like, you rolled up your characters, you maybe you start in a town or, like, a tavern or something like that, but then otherwise it's just, like, I don't know, let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's something really exciting about that, uh, like, really, really exciting about that. Yeah, I just I'd be curious to see how 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 it would go. <laughs> yeah, let me respond to that. So my intent in that uh, disjointed monologue was not to say that like we all need to be playing hex crawls the way Gary played them back in the yeah. day. It was yeah. more like uh, whatever the best part of D and D is. Let's just let's turn on the fire hose. Like let's let let's invite people to the best part of it, not to yeah. the not to a really stripped down version of it. So maybe the best part of D&D, if you're a new, relatively new fan of D&D, is like a critical role style, deep, emotionally emotionally invested storylines uh, where the experience is very much built around your relationship with the other people, at the other uh, characters that you're adventuring with. And so for me, I'm more of a, give me a hex crawl. But like, I understand that for, for other people, the, the meat of D and D is in, you know, uh, that more, uh, you know, these strong storylines that are kind of deeply rooted in personal motivations or personal failures or desires or whatever. So mm-hmm. where is the D and D starter adventure that like does that? Yeah. Right. 
like uh so we don't need a hex crawl maybe we need something that like throws you into the deep end of like you're a participant in this story you have these deep connections to other participants in the story go Mm -hmm. crazy like why i understand why stormwreck isle isn't an old school hex crawl why isn't it a critical role style i don't know narrative theater i don't know yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I think there are there are some motions towards this with some of their pregens, like you know they're giving them you know bonds and and stuff like that. But I mean, I think you you are onto something there with like why not flesh it out like a lot more? So it's like you have this character that has has a big backstory, has all these connections, has the drive, you know, like all that all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I think they're you know uh, like Lost Minds has a little bit of that, but I mean, I think you you're onto something that like there could be more of that especially if that's how most people are coming to the game. Um, like just yeah, giving it to them up front. And it's like, here's an example of how you you could put all that together. And then like the next time that you're playing, like maybe you keep going with those characters or maybe you invent your own. And like, yeah, here's the template for how to do that. Like with D&D in particular, like I am sensitive to the fact that they are trying to make a game, a game that works for so many different styles of play sort of all at once. I mean, I think they have, there's a mentality of like, you know, like this is this is how we want the game to be played, you know, that I think they're trying to get out there, but like they're also trying to make sure that it can work. <laughs> it can work for so, mm-hmm. many, so yeah. many different people. So it's like, you know, like I don't begrudge the fact that like Stormwreck Isle is maybe a little bit thin, you know, but I, I do think you're right that there there's ways to write that adventure where there are, are different ways to run it, I think, like in like almost different complexities to run it or in different styles as well. So it's like, you know, you'd almost have a like, hey, is your party more interested in narrative? Like here's here's a bunch more text on that. You know, if they're more interested in combat, like here's here's a bunch of optional encounters and stuff. Right. Like I, I think there, there there's ways to like, yeah, make make moves towards that um, where even in the written adventure. I mean, I think it's like, again, you get to invent it. Your D and D is the D and D that you play at the table. It's not what Wizards of the Coast has written, <laughs> written in the adventure. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I think there there are ways to um, facilitate that that I think they're not taking. I think you're right on there. I don't mean to keep beating beating the dead horse, but yeah. I I feel that as a hobby, so I'm enough of a dork that I own like a huge number of like introductory games and starter sets for different systems and stuff. And this feels to me like a challenge the the hobby and the industry has not really cracked. What is the introductory experience that is going to get you hooked on this? I think we can point at products that have worked and we can point at products that have not worked, but I don't know that it's always clear exactly what the lessons are to draw from those things, right? Like yeah. Fandelver is really well regarded. You know, I don't think, St- you know, Stormic Isle is fine, but no one is uh, no one is creating memories of the time they played through Stormic Isle the way they did when they played through Fandelver or yeah. 40 years ago the, when they played through the Caves of Chaos or whatever the other yeah. like kind of starter stuff was back in the early days of D&D. So I'm just rambling at this point. Starter adventures, they're hard to figure out. I think it's really hard to create one product that introduces you to a hobby that is, frankly, draws strength from the diversity of experiences that you can have in it. And mm-hmm. I guess I can't blame Stormark Isle or anyone else for not for not creating the perfect product that appeals to everyone, right? Yeah, we, we need to wrap it up. But like one one thing I have, and maybe we should do a full full podcast about this, is like I would argue that those starter sets and those starter boxes and stuff should be treated as the only way the game ever gets played. Um, Cause I think for the mm. vast majority of people who play it, 
that is the entirety of their experience with playing playing like Dungeons and Dragons is I went through the starter set that one time, right? Yeah, and I think that's true for true for a lot of games or, you know, a lot of games and then especially for like even a lot of these like narrative games that that we play and stuff, like I think like a lot of people say like with Brindlewood Bay, they're only ever going to play one mystery. So it's like if you think about it in those terms or, you know, yeah, like if this is the only time that you're ever going to play this game, exactly what you're saying, like what are the things that it should do? do really well like you know should it should it assume that you're ever going to play another game of this Hmm. like if not then you're going to write that very differently because it's like okay well then if you're never going to play again like maybe we want to accelerate you from level one through 20 super fast you get a you know a taste of all that or yeah it doesn't matter like or like you know you know right so there's like all these decisions that i think you can you could make um with like if if you were going to treat that as like this is the only time that someone's going to play or the only time this group is going to play together is when we go through this, this like starter set. Like, I think that that would lead to some different decisions that I think a lot of game designers end up making. And when I say game designers, like I'm including myself in that of like, even how I would run the game as yeah. well. Like, yeah, thinking it through that way. Like, yeah. Cause it's, that's just the reality of it is like, you know, groups fall apart all the time for various reasons. And it's like, well, yeah. Like, so if you treated it as this is it, <laughs> like you would, you would approach it differently. <laughs> Yeah, why? Where's the level ten starter set, right? Where's the starter set that like gives you accomplished seasoned adventures that are like gonna save the kingdom, not yeah. clear out the rats from the basement and the tavern, right? Yeah, it's probably languishing on uh, uh, <laughs> on DM's guild somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we we need to stop. Otherwise, we'll keep on inventing reasons to keep talking. So yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, this has been a super good conversation. It's really glad to, I'm really glad to talk to you again, Andy. It's been, been too long. I'm glad we can kind of yeah, dive back into. It has been into, too long. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we're, uh, Andy and I are talking a little bit about what we're going to do for 2024 and, and beyond. So um, I guess stay tuned to that. I'm not going to be a major format change or anything like that, but I think we're going to have some tweaks, tweaks to roll for topic um, coming up. So yeah, uh, please keep listening. Um, to us uh yeah i think that about does it so i'll start doing our wrap-up stuff unless you have anything else you wanted to mention um, i was just gonna throw a very fast question that's not meant to start a big conversation but i'm curious mm-hmm. do you do you have a a gaming goal a gming goal this year that you definitely know that you want to pursue Ooh, that is a good question uh, that is something i'm still thinking about but i i do think I know I want to run something i'm still trying to decide what exactly that is um, i am i'm personally kind of interested in the new the mcdm ttrpg yeah. <laughs> of heroic of a cinematic <laughs> fantasy or what you know like they need to get a name name quickly but uh there's there's something about a lot of the little things i've heard about that that makes me kind of excited to maybe try to run something like that um although i'm trying to decide if i if i need to wait for the book to come out or if i can do the pdf yet right so there's just some of that stuff and then i do have i've got like a couple other things kicking around um I think I'd like to run a little bit more Brindlewood Bay as well. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that was super fun. Um, and actually some more mouse Ritter. So like we ran mouse Ritter for the actual play. Like that was, that was a fun system. I'd like to yeah. like keep, keep playing that a bit. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I've been thinking about is playing some more like one page RPGs. Like, mm. yeah, I, I just, I really like those every time I play them to like kind of in and out, get to try like a small system really fast. Um, that, that isn't too hard to, <laughs> to get your mind around. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of where my head's at. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think my biggest goal. So I've been running, uh, you know, Masks of Nyarlathotep for mm-hmm. members of my family for a while now. 
and the, the kind of final couple months of the year, that campaign sort of stalled out. Okay. So I need to, maybe we can talk about this in the future episode. How do you kind of reignite a campaign that was going well, but um, but sort of foundered for different reasons? Mm-hmm. So I am optimistic about that. So because there's enthusiasm for the players, I get asked about it by my my, my family members on a regular basis. When are we going to okay. continue? So that's great. Um, I want to get that kickstarted. And I really, last year I pitched Curse of Strahd to my main gaming group and it, it didn't work with their schedules and availability and levels of interest. And I would like to find a way to make Curse of Strahd or something like it happen, Ooh, like okay. a zero to hero fantasy, whether it's D&D or something similar. I would like to do a zero to hero D and D ish thing this year. So yeah, it it would be fun if it's Curse of Strahd because I like Curse of Strahd a lot. There's a lot of I'd be excited to run that, but I'd be also happy to to run something else. But I would like to get some like swords and sorcery action going this year. Yeah. So that'll be I'll be looking for ways to do that, and let's plan on talking about in a future episode. You know, like how do you negotiate with your group? What kind of experience you want to have? How do you negotiate that given the constraints that all of these um, adults with children uh, have in their <laughs> lives? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- those will be my goals. Restart, get masks of Nyarlathotep going again, and do a D and D. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a good year for um for horror and swords, <laughs> horror, horror and swords. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Roll for Topic is part of the Roll for It Media podcasting network. Our sister show, The Splat Book, with John Corey and Kyle Latino, is wonderful as al- as always. I think. I mean, we we talked a, a little bit about their their recent recent episodes. Um, yeah. Go definitely go listen to Andy um, on on the most. I think the last two episodes. I, I'm a couple behind right now. Um, it's alarming. Yeah. The most recent one, as of the time of this recording is uh, i was on there with john Corey and matt wilson and we were talking about the kind of a uh, broke overcomplicated game systems <laughs> that formed sort of the second generation of rpgs after D. so oh if you goodness. uh yeah. if you have any curiosity about role master champions gerps etc we Mm-hmm. we are a bunch of nerds who like that stuff so go listen to that episode yes a bunch of i will i will also say a bunch of history nerds too so that i'm, <laughs> I'm guessing that is a more well-researched podcast than i will ever be a part of so <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll definitely give that one a listen so uh yeah i think that is all that i needed to say yeah so again thank you so much for listening i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rao. And remember if your players have been fun you're a great gm 